We gathered at the 2017 National Constitutional Convention, coming from all points of the southern sky, make this statement from the heart. Our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes were the first sovereign nations of the Australian continent and its adjacent islands, and possessed it under our own laws and customs. This our ancestors did, according to the reckoning of our culture from the creation, according to the common law from time immemorial, and according to science more than 60,000 years ago. This sovereignty is a spiritual notion, the ancestral tie between the land or Mother Nature and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who were born therefrom remain attached thereto and must one day return thither to be united with our ancestors. This link is the basis of the ownership of the soil, or better, of sovereignty. It has never been ceded or extinguished, and it coexists with the sovereignty of the Crown. How could it be otherwise, that a people's possessed the land for 60 millennia, and this sacred link disappears from world history in merely the last 200 years? With substantive constitutional change and structural reform, we believe this ancient sovereignty can shine through as a fuller expression of Australia's nationhood. Proportionately, we are the most incarcerated people on the planet. We are not an innately criminal people. Our children are alien from their families at unprecedented rates. This cannot be because we have no love for them. And our youth languish in detention in obscene numbers. They should be our hope for the future. These dimensions of our crisis tell plainly the structural nature of our problem. This is a torment of our powerlessness. We seek constitutional reforms to empower our people and take a rightful place in our own country. When we have power over our destiny, our children will flourish, they will walk into worlds, and their culture will be a gift to their country. We call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution. Makarada is the culmination of our agenda, the coming together after a struggle. It captures our aspirations for a fair and truthful relationship with the people of Australia and a better future for our children based on justice and self-determination. We seek a Makarada Commission to supervise a process of agreement making between governments and First Nations and truth-telling about our history. In 1967, we were counted. In 2017, we seek to be heard. We leave base camp and start our trek across this vast country. We invite you to walk with us in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. Thank you for, for reading that out. Your Newcastle. Welcome to Your Newcastle, season four. Today, we have the honour of welcoming the wonderful, the awesome, Thomas Mayer. Thomas, thank you for joining us at your Newcastle. Just introducing you properly, you're the National Indigenous Officer for the MUA and also one of the leading spokespeople on the campaign to recognise an Indigenous voice to Parliament. And I know how hard you've been working on this journey. You have been at 
every cornerstone moment on this journey since you first all met back at Uluru a number of years ago. And I thought it was a really good opportunity as we move towards the education of the Australian people on what a voice to parliament means and how important it is for Australia. You're the best person to explain that to us. And you have done that in Newcastle several times, so thank you. But anyone that hasn't had the opportunity to meet you, hopefully will be able to see and listen to your awesome campaign and what it actually means. So over to you. Parts of the Uluru Statement, especially that make it hard to ignore just how important a constitutionally enshrined voice will be for our people and for our country. That's fantastic. You're coming to us from Darwin, and that was a truly beautiful recital of the statement from the heart. And I know how involved you were, along with many other Australians, First Nation people in in writing that document, but you have also been really leading that advocacy. I note that you have recently given the Vincent Lingiari Memorial Lecture that was delivered on country for the first time. Tell me a little bit about that. It was a really special time, you know, to go to Goodinji country and be the first to give a Vincent Lingiari Memorial Lecture on country. People that have done that lecture include Gough Whitlam and Fraser and Marcia Langton and Pat Dodson. So really a great honour. Because it was the first time on country, I wanted to give uh, Gurindji people the opportunity to finish the lecture, you know, themselves. And I invited Vincent Lingyari's granddaughter up onto the stage and a little Gurindji girl, Hailani Thompson, who is the great-granddaughter of Nancy Waranali, one of the women who walked off with Vincent. And they finished the lecture by reading from Rosie and I's children's book about Vincent Mangari's story. And little Eilani's, the last words of the book, pose a question to all Australians, will you walk with us again? You know, as Australians did back in the day to help them get some land back. And of course, the response from the crowd was a standing ovation and a loud and resonant yes. It sounds like such a beautiful moment. And obviously today with social media, we get to experience a little bit of it, even though we're not there with you on country. I know a number of years ago, you wrote about the journey that you were on together with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples of this great nation, as well as a lot of other Australians from different backgrounds. And your book, Finding the Heart of the Nation, talked about that journey and what constitutional recognition actually meant. And I note that post the 2022 federal election, you've had the opportunity to update a couple of chapters and will re-release our second edition, which I think is really exciting, particularly as we go further into the phase of looking at what the question would be and how important this campaign is going to be. And that is part of the reason why at the City of Newcastle and local government, we have already committed to being part of that campaign and the importance of bringing all communities with us on this journey. Yeah, it's just announced uh, the launch of this book as, as we're doing this podcast. It's going to be paperback this time, rewritten. I've also added a new section to the book that as, as simply as possible explains what a constitution is, what a referendum is, what a voice means. Uh, a whole lot of frequently asked questions I try to give simple answers to. It's a very important time to have this book out there because people are looking for information. Absolutely. They want to hear why we call for a voice to Parliament. They want to be inspired as well. 
know how they can take action. And so for those reasons, I think the timing of this book is, is especially important. It is important, particularly to educate people. Referendums have had a chequered history here in Australia. They're a very big ask in terms of almost a bigger ask than winning elections for political parties, I, I must say. So it hasn't gone well in the past. So this time, all of us that are committed to this process want to make sure it goes well. What type of outcome do we need to get the, the referendum up? Just the, the basic information. Yeah, referenda are difficult in this country because it's quite a high bar to get over to succeed. You need a majority of the Australian to vote. But not just that, you also need a majority of people in a majority of states. So we need four out of six states, basically, to to say yes to the question of uh, what sort of change the government is proposing. It's important to understand, though, this isn't just the government proposing this. This is the government proposing because we've asked them what to do, uh, what we want them to do, and that is to enshrine a voice. We need to have the courage to take this difficult path because we know that every time we've established a representative body that has been able to strongly advise the government on how to get things right, to do all the things that we need to do, you know, to, to close this life expectancy gap of around eight years, to bring incarceration rates to parity, you know, where at the moment, shamefully, we're the most incarcerated people on the planet. There's this great importance of representation, and we should understand that as a representative democracy as well. But each time a hostile government has come along and silenced it, and the only place to stop that from happening in our political system is in our constitution. So we have to have the courage to do it. It takes a lot of courage to go on this journey for, for such a long period of time. And I think in your explanations around the country, not just in your book, but also in talking with many, many communities like ours here in Newcastle, you have articulated not only the reason why, but also the importance of understanding the reason why. And I think your book goes into that. And maybe the listeners would be interested in some of that rationale directly from you as a Torres Strait Islander man that has been so involved with this process for so many years. Yeah, there's many varying reasons why our people support this. And that's what I tried to capture in the book, Finding the Heart of the Nation. I interview around 20 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people they share their experiences in life, you know, uh, they share their history, what they remember from, uh, you know, some of the others about their younger days and how they were treated. There's, for example, Nolan Hunter that was, as a, as a child, was put into a leprosarium when he didn't have leprosy and separated from his family. How we witnessed the old people in those leprosariums who had lived their whole lives in there from when they were children were worried about actually going into the, the wider world. There was experiences from the missionary days and, and the impact of all the traumas and all that resonate today in the problems that we see. But there are also stories about the contemporary things that are being done, the changes over and over with the cycle of politics. So every three years when there's another election, you know, Indigenous people holding their breath about will they need to build a new relationship with a minister, a new minister or a new government? Will the promises be delivered upon? Will the programs that have been implemented that are, that are working be tossed out and defunded? And so this problem with politicians, you know, our parliament not having that consistent voice from a voice, you know, from a representative body that we choose that is genuinely representative and not being held accountable 
when they make harmful decisions and when they make mistakes. And so this all comes out in our, our different stories. The reason why I believe in the voice so much, and this is, I think, a, a very much simpler way to describe, to answer your question, is that it doesn't matter what we try to do to improve the lives of Indigenous people. So whether we're talking about housing in our communities that in, in most of our communities are overcrowded, you know, are substandard in conditions and infrastructure, whether we're talking about justice and how the justice system doesn't take into account the prejudice that can be behind the badge, these, how it doesn't take into account the traumas of our youth and why there's social issues. Also, you know, about whether it's about employment, whether it's about health, whether it's about water matters and, and, and infrastructure, all of these things are affected by the decisions that are made in Parliament in Canberra. And if every time we've established a voice that's able to help the Parliament to make better decisions about us, that voice has been silenced, then this is what we need to re-establish and make sure that it's protected by the Constitution. Making sure that voice exists in the Constitution is very well reasoned, obviously in my eyes and a lot of people's eyes in Australia. And making sure that actually happens and does become part of the Constitution is a long road and a long road and a lot of work. And I, and I think people don't really realise actually that this isn't a very largely resource campaign. It's passionate people like yourself, like some of us in local government, in different areas of uh, civil society. It's unions like the MUA, who have always been at the forefront of progressive social change as a group supporting this type of change. If people are interested in walking the journey with you and helping out in their communities, what is the best way that you would suggest now for them to offer the, their services? Well, I think I'd say firstly just to help people understand that the, the technical reasons or the political reasons that I explained there is one part. And so I encourage people to begin talking about this with, with those people that they can help persuade to vote yes when the time comes. I think um, it's important that you ask those other people to be inspired by this and to work towards a successful referendum. Uh, we're probably just over 12 months out from a referendum, so there's a bit of time, but this is going to ramp up quite quickly as well. So keep your eye out for campaign, and there's a website that you can register on, fromtheheart.com.au. Uh, so jump onto that and use my books as a resource as well. Share them around. You know, for people that like reading, it's a great way for them to, to learn and to be inspired. Yeah, fromtheheart.com.au. And I'm sure we have several copies in our local libraries, and we might even have some book clubs on those books, which I think is a good way of helping start that discussion. Feeling social? Follow City of Newcastle on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. 12 months out from a referendum, it seems like a long time, but it really isn't when you do need to get the majority of states or the majority of people in the majority of states to say yes. Have you done any further distillation of what the type of question will be in order to actually you know, communicate that more broadly to the Australian people or what you think it should be? Yes, so I was at Gama, uh, the Gama Festival in northeast Arnhem Land, uh, a very sacred festival that invites people from all around the country to 
to come along and enjoy the Yolnu culture. And there's always very high-level political discussions at this particular festival. And our new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, travelled there and he gave us some draft words to consider as Australians and he invited all Australians to to consider these words and also participate in, in the national discussion about whether or not these are the questions that we should be asked when we go to referendum. The question that he posed is, do you support an alteration to the constitution that establishes an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice? And so it's a, it's a rather simple question, really. You know, should Indigenous people have a voice that can have a say when decisions are made of, about us all the time in the parliament? Uh, and I think um, the answer is going to be yes. We've got a lot of work to do, though, to educate more Australians about that. And so, you know, Newcastle City's support is is absolutely vital. You know, all organisations from big businesses to, to trade unions, non-government organisations, sporting clubs even, uh, we're going to need them all to get behind this campaign when the time comes. And the question will be that simple. And the answer should be simple, it's yes. That's a great explanation. And I think it is a simple proposition that will make so much difference to our country going forward. The new provision in the Constitution would essentially end up in three sentences. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there shall be a body to be called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voice. The Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voice may make representations to Parliament and the executive government on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So it's, it is a very simple proposition, enshrining that voice into the constitution. Will there be further discussions, do you think, or debate around that question being the question for the referendum? Or do you think it is simple enough to get the outcome that we need? These won't be the final words, but it gives some direction and shape. I think it, it certainly indicates the uh, intent of the change to the constitution. Um, and that's simply that there will be an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice that can make representations to parliament. And that's importantly not a third chamber to parliament. It won't have a right to veto legislation. Uh, it won't have a right to make legislation. And then ultimately, third sentence being about the parliament having the power to make laws with respect to the composition, functions, powers and procedures of the voice. The representative body, the model, will need to change with the needs of the people. It's not something that you set in stone in the, in the Constitution. So really, the constitutional change is just the principle that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people should have a say when the decisions are being made about them. Really, the constitutional change that we're talking about is just about the principle being in the Constitution. Absolutely. And just tell us a little bit about your background. You grew up on country in the Torres Strait. I think people, as this 12 months rolls out, will get to know you across the country a lot more as being one of the leading spokespeople on trying to enshrine Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice to Parliament. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and what inspired you to go on this journey. We've got to practice my culture here so far from home. I was able to enjoy our traditional foods that are here, turtle and dugong, you know, those sorts of tuckers. And I became a wharfie when I was 17, worked on the wharfs for 16 years, never expected to be doing the thing that I'm doing now. I was quiet. My manner was always very quiet. I follow my heart and I do what I think is right. 
And that's why I've been a part of this campaign, because I know that what we're doing right now as advocates for our own people is not working. What the country is doing right now is not helping. And we need to have that structural, that fundamental change in the relationship between Indigenous people and non-Indigenous, between First Nations and the Parliament, to be able to improve the lives of my people. So that's what I'm passionate about. It's a wonderful passion and you have done a fantastic job thus far ensuring that not only this was on the agenda in the federal election and, of course, wonderfully picked up by the current Prime Minister to ensure that it was actually at the heart of his agenda in leading the nation, and which is a really important part of what is happening, the change that is happening through that style of leadership which I think is very much appreciated by a lot of people in the country, you and I being two of them. I'm really passionate also about making sure this works, not only just at the city of Newcastle, but also across the country. And there are a lot of people uh, like myself in local government, in small business, in big business, that want to ensure that our future as a nation is one that is together and not divided and actually embraces that 60,000 years of cultural heritage, which is all our heritage, and also allows us to truly celebrate it and learn from it. There are so many opportunities for learning and being attached to country wherever you live or are born, that that type of culture is really all our culture. And I, I see that, but I was brought up like that by my parents. So... It will be something of a gift to future generations. And while it might not and will never right some of the wrongs of the past, it does provide a lot of opportunity for future generations, I think, coming through and for the country to really embrace a gift that is the longest continuous culture on the planet. So thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for joining me on your Newcastle and always visiting us in Newcastle. I know that it won't be long before we see you again on what will be a pretty long and important 12 months for the country, but you always have our support. Uh, thank you, Sally. I really appreciate that. That's your Newcastle. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us wherever you listen. 